In the holy name of Jesus, amen. Despite how short it is, today's gospel lesson is a roller coaster. It begins with an earnest question, a pious question, a question that really supersedes all other questions, and a question that matters a great deal to you and to me. How do I inherit eternal life? How do I enter the kingdom of God? From the beginning of the gospel, Jesus has been preaching repentance and the coming of the kingdom of God. He's been teaching that the life that he brings is unlike this life in this world. The first will be last and the last first. Food for the body is good, but food for the soul is better. Cleanliness is on the inside and not on the outside, and children and those who serve will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Wanting that life, that eternal life, is a good thing, and so it's a good question. How can I have that life? But like the man with the question in today's gospel lesson, we're often unprepared for Jesus' answer. If you think that Jesus is the kind of fellow who gives pat answers to questions, you'll be gravely disappointed in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark, the answers only ever come slowly and by degrees. It's like the blind man whom Jesus heals. Jesus spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, and at first the man saw people, but they looked like trees walking. And so Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and then he saw everything clearly. And so in today's gospel lesson, Jesus meets the man with the question halfway. Try the commandments. The commandments come with the promise of life. The one who keeps them shall live by them. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Don't hurt anyone. Be faithful to your spouse. Love and honor your father and your mother. How's that been going for you? You'll notice right away that Jesus skips the first several commandments, the ones about having no other God and keeping his name holy and remembering the Sabbath. Perhaps he suspects that the man with the question will have his hands full enough just examining the way he treats his neighbor, let alone how he regards God. But here, at this point in the story, the roller coaster takes a turn. Teacher, he says, all these I have kept from my youth. It's at this point that we immediately want to disassociate ourselves from the man with the question. That's some nerve that he's got. At least you can't accuse him of having a false sense of humility, but to stand before Jesus and pretend to be blameless, that's bold. It's outrageous. Thank God that you and I aren't like that hypocrite. The trouble is that in trying to acquit ourselves of hypocrisy, we only prove our hypocrisy all the more. The truth is that we're often just like the man with the question, although 
perhaps were a bit more subtle. It's relatively easy to confess to being a sinner, but it's very difficult to confess sin. It's the difference between saying, mistakes were made, and I messed up big time. It's the difference between saying, I'm sorry you feel that way, and I'm sorry that I hurt you. Our tendency toward hypocrisy is the reason why Martin Luther encourages us in his small catechism regularly to examine our lives. It's easy and convenient to overlook and dismiss sin. But consider the Ten Commandments, he says. Have you been disobedient, unfaithful, or lazy? Have you been hot-tempered, rude, or quarrelsome? Have you hurt someone by your words or deeds? Have you been stolen, been negligent, wasted anything, or done any harm? These questions, this point in the story, is a crucial point. The man who comes to Jesus has revealed his heart to Jesus. His confidence, his trust, is in himself. It seems like he thought that he had it in the bag. Armed with the commandments, he was looking for a pat on the back, some affirmation. And so he asked the good teacher his question, thinking that he knew what was good, all the while failing to see the condition of his heart. But if that's the crucial point in the story, or a crucial point in the story, what comes next is the very linchpin. Here the roller coaster jumps from its tracks. Upon hearing this bold, hypocritical statement from the man with the question, Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. That's the key to everything that follows next. The look of Jesus and his love are the basis for what he says next. He doesn't retort or scoff. He loves. But in his love, Jesus doesn't always say what we want to hear. He says what we need to hear. And so, to this man who trusts in himself and in his possessions, Jesus says this, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. And at that, the man with the question heard an answer that he didn't want to hear. Earlier in Mark, Jesus told the parable of the sower in which some seed fell along the path, other seed on rocky ground, other seed among thorns, and other seed in good soil. The man with the question is among the thorns. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things entered in and choked the word so that he went away sorrowful, for he had many possessions. We don't know how things finally turned out for the man with the question. The long-suffering love and mercy of Jesus lead me to hope that one day those words that this man didn't want to hear finally hit home. But what about you? 
If you're anything like me, every time you hear this story, you start off on the wrong foot, trying to come up with all kinds of reasons why Jesus didn't really mean what he said or that he didn't mean it for me. But to entertain that train of thought is to miss the point altogether. The point, again, is this. Jesus looked at the man, and he loved him. There will undoubtedly come times in your lives when Jesus has something to say to you that you don't want to hear. It may or may not be what he said to the man who came to him with his question. And chances are it's going to come by the mouth of a pastor, since that's what we're here to do, to say what Jesus says. But the very good news for you is that whatever Jesus says to you, no matter how it sounds to you, he says it because he loves you, even the things you don't want to hear. And when you find yourself displeased with what Jesus has to say, remember this. As baptized, redeemed, and sanctified children of God, you are already heirs of eternal life. The question of eternal life was answered in the crucifixion of Jesus, and in your washing with water and his word, and in your eating and drinking his body and blood. And although you may occasionally struggle with what Jesus has to say, as baptized, redeemed, and sanctified children of God, you can rejoice in this. As you live your lives, receiving Jesus' gifts and his grace, you are, in fact, following him. And he is strengthening you, so that when he speaks to you, you can reply in faith, Amen. Let it be to me according to your word. In the holy name of Jesus, Amen.